Hello once again and welcome to Huge Ass Paddock Pass, episode 5. I'm Tom Edison, your host with me is Andrew Fawcett. That's me. And Alex Cofford. Yo. And first off guys, I want to say that we're really appreciative of the support the podcast has gotten. We've only been four episodes in and if we look at our metrics at our hosting service, we can see that we have a decent amount of listeners around the world. Woohoo! Um, woohoo indeed. We've got some uh, listeners in Japan... We've got some listeners in Moscow. We've got some listeners in the UK, my home, my home state. Um, and we just want to say, you know, thank you guys for listening, for tuning in, for supporting us. And if you have any feedback, any stories you think we might enjoy, um, if you want to appear on the show, if you have anything you know you want to get involved with, then just let us know. Like we're here to to converse and to interact with you. This is a two way street. Uh, you can email us as, as uh, our email address was hjmpodcast at gmail.com. That's hjmpodcast at gmail.com. And we'll be uh, very happy to take your emails. Isn't that right, guys? Absolutely. Yeah, I can't wait till we get our first Antarctica viewer or listener. <laughs> <laughs> we need some South there's American a, ones as well. We're there's, a South big, there's a big uh, motorsports uh, following in Antarctica, so I'm... I'm Eagerly awaiting those emails. Very good. Very good in slipping conditions. <laughs> um, and speaking of slipping off the track, oh, you, see what dear. I, you, you see what I did there? That was good, uh, wasn't it? Quite the segue. <laughs> <laughs> so, if, cast your mind back, guys, to the previous episode of the podcast when I said, I think a Ferrari's going to win in Canada. Mm-hmm. You know what? I was almost right. I mean, he crossed mm-hmm. in first place. He was the he, driver of the day. He was the driver of the day, <laughs> which counts for a lot, as we all know. Mm-hmm. It's lots of championship points, that. <laughs> <laughs> but there was a little bit of controversy there. So, uh, yes. <clears throat> what do we think? Um, I think, like a lot of people, I think it was utter malarkey. And <laughs> um, I think it was the wrong call, frankly. Um, I think it, it was kind of... It's a difficult call, and I'm not gonna say it's like black and white, which I think is why there's controversy to begin with. Um, but I I don't think that what Vettel did deserved a five second penalty, and I think that he deserved the win. Yeah, I'm with so, you on that. It's I don't think the crime fit the punishment. I think it was overkill, and I don't feel that the FIA is anywhere near consistent in their calls. Okay, so I will take the opposite position because controversy is good. And actually, I feel, you know, I feel a little converse about this. So let's look at the letter of the law. First off, he crowded another driver off the circuit. Hamilton had to brake to avoid a collision. Are we, are we agreed on that? No. Uh, no. We're saying that Hamilton did not have to brake to avoid a collision. He was on the racing line. He had to brake. I'm talking about I, the off-track part. Uh, I'm not talking about the off-track. I'm just talking <laughs> about that letter of the law. Oh, okay. Well, that up to that, I will agree that Hamilton he had impeded to avoid a collision. his... Yeah? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So that is a contravention of the driving code. Right. Just that part. Sure. Okay. Then we look at the other section of the law. He rejoined the track... And his natural momentum took him across the full width of the circuit. Onto the racing line, which caused Hamilton to brake to avoid a collision. 
Agreed? Yes. Yes. So if you are rejoining the circuit with your car in such a way that the momentum will take you across the full width of the circuit, is that not an unsafe rejoin? I think if it's... Mm, no, I don't agree I with that at all. It, unsafe no, rejoin would so. be rejoining at your discretion, like you're in control of your car. He was sliding. Uh, you know, you could call it... I, I think it's a hard decision because it's like an unsafe rejoin and a lot of times is the driver is in control of his car and decides to come back and, and impede. And chooses to rejoin the circuit. Right, and so yeah. it's like almost it's describing two different ways. And so in, again, the letter of the law, I agree. It is an unsafe rejoin, but in the spirit of the law, I don't think that applies whatsoever. So the... The wording of the law is that if the driver is not in full control of his car, then it is an unsafe manner in which to rejoin the circuit. And I, th I don't if, think you can argue that Vettel was not in... I would say he was in full control. You can't argue that. Yeah. You'd say he was not? I would say he's not in control, full control of the car. Sure. I would say that he's not a passenger, but he's obviously not you know, directing the car with full so, control. So if we look at those two laws which are part of the uh, the steward's manual that Amand Malipiro would have been referencing when he was making this decision. Right. Um, Vettel was not in complete control of the car as he rejoined the circuit, which is an unsafe rejoin, and while doing so, caused the driver behind to brake on the racing line to avoid a collision. Yeah. One of those scenarios has to be correct. Probably both of them. If Vettel hadn't saved the car if Vettel had spun or hit the wall but the same situation existed with Lewis having to slow down would he have gotten the penalty no way it would have been a moot point he would have been out of he would have been out of the lead he would have lost the position okay, he gained an enough. advantage by doing so I wouldn't say he gained an advantage he lost time but he kept his position by rejoining the circuit so but he had that position to begin with but he got the course uh, I mean, yeah. the other side of it is this: is you see a Ferrari going off, and <laughs> yeah, and Lewis my... does not lift once, you know, whatsoever. He yeah. is going full bore, you know. I sure Vettel's in like fifty percent control. He's able, he's in control of the car to keep it straight, to keep it out of the wall. You can see him looking at the wall, kind of center it, then look in the mirror as, and that's the moment that Lewis is slamming on the brakes. But again, it's there's no real way that Lewis is getting by there. Yeah, and it, I agree. And then the other thing have, is, it's just so right. it's so inconsistent with how they've done the same incidents with Lewis or with Max Verstappen just last year and the year before. Okay, so let's bring up the Max Verstappen issue. Uh, Japan last year, you guys remember that race? Of course. Yes. So Max was all into the Ferraris. Uh, he and Vettel had a coming together at Spoon, and Vettel went around, and that was all very exciting. Right. Then he had an issue with Raikkonen, right? No, Raikkonen. it was the other way around. Into Lap one was the Raikkonen incident. Regardless, he had two separate instances with the Ferraris. Yeah. Right. And lap one was it lap one? I can't. I actually can't remember that. <laughs> I think um, it was. It was definitely opening laps because they were all pretty close together 
Um, so into the final chicane at Suzuka. Max outbreaks himself because Kimi's pressuring him. Yep. He bounces across the curb on the right and then cuts the curb on the left, bounces across the track to track out, forces Kimi off to the off to the right of the track. Right? Yes. <clears throat> so Kimi has to break to avoid a collision, otherwise he's going off into the grass. There was the a collision. Um and Max got a penalty. Max, so Max gets a five-second penalty, the same as Vettel. Max actually collided with Raikkonen's car, damaged his car, and um, Raikkonen overtaking car. Well, and Raikkonen lost a spot to Vettel behind him. So this is again the punishment crime sort of thing, where in one scenario you have the status quo staying the same, the other scenario you have the car that's in trouble, if you will causes a wreck and causes Raikkonen to actually lose a spot. So, so I, I don't the, think that they're the similar at Raikkonen's all. Raikkonen's car was actually damaged because there was contact as a result of rejoining the track in an unsafe manner, that it was a more severe incident than Vettel's. Absolutely. I don't think they're yeah. close. I agree. But Raikkonen could have braked and avoided that collision. Yeah, but it's the responsibility of the faster car to overtake safely I mean that's racing 101 and I think that yeah I don't think they're I think they're similar situations but I think that this is different I think Lewis forced Seb into a mistake and he cut the track and I think Lewis shouldn't have gone full bore through there I don't know why he like best case scenario he goes through Best case scenario, he goes through on the right if Vettel like somehow stops it in time. But if I'm if I if I'm Lewis, I wouldn't have charged in their full race pace if I saw a car go off in that particular corner because I know how sketchy that corner is. There's not much space there. I, I, no. I agree. Um, and Lewis would have thought that Seb would have maybe slowed down more because he was going. It's hard to judge yeah. this second. And he took his line out to the right, gave him. Well, he thought Vettel was space to rejoin on the inside, and uh, yeah, I think it's like. Maybe I mean, that that is fair. He he did give Sebastian plenty of room to, to rejoin. Like he was, as the picture, the very, I'm sure will be f- infamous photograph. Oh, we yeah. obviously saw that he's <laughs> four wheels off the track. You know, like obviously he gave Seb plenty of room to come back on. But, right, and he yeah. still had to brake to avoid a collision. Um, I just think for me. What about when Lewis did that to Monaco in Monaco? Yeah. And he he doesn't get a penalty. That's true. So like literally two weeks ago or whatever it was. No, I'm talking about two, 2016. Oh, yeah, I thought you were talking about I thought you were talking about last week when he No, last last week Max hit him like that's, yeah, that's a different yeah. thing. Yeah, he, he was being pressured by Danny, I believe. It was Ricardo, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, <laughs> and he, you know, ran through the chicane, jumped over it, impeded the person behind and no penalty and so which yeah. which i su- i kind of support because i feel like in that situation the car that screwed up right lewis in that situation and vettel in this one they're at a disadvantage you have grass on your tire your car is probably a little bit worse for wear you know let that be the person behind that there is their opportunity to attack and let it play out and then the other issue that I have is is the five-second penalty. 
Mm-hmm. A, a much better penalty if if we're going to say that a plant penalty needs to be applied in in the race is let Lewis buy. If they can do a Seb, you have to let Lewis buy for impeding him. Now Lewis has, or I'm sorry, Seb has the rest of the race to actually try to make a pass and try to make a real race. But instead, the viewers are robbed because now. Lewis doesn't care about passing Seb. He, you know, there's zero interest whatsoever. He wants just to hang out one second behind him and, and relax. And so not only I think it's a bad thing for the drivers, I think it was a bad decision for the viewers and it was just a bad decision for the sport in general. I absolutely agree with that. Um, it didn't reflect well upon the sport at all, but viewers of this what had to that point had been a pretty absorbing race frankly I, yeah Those i agree two were, were very close together for the majority of the race and this is what we've been wanting to see all year right is right finally because bot ass has been <laughs> doing his thing and and it seems like when he's ahead of lewis it's status quo and when lewis is ahead of bot ass it's the status quo but this right. is the first time that we actually have got to see, okay, there's a real battle going on, real consequences, not talking about the wreck, but just the battle itself. And yep. again, the viewers were robbed of a potential, I mean, how cool would that have been? I, you know, obviously I'm not a Lewis fan or a Mercedes fan, but how cool would that have been <clears throat> to see Lewis make that move instead of him just being like, all right, I got to sit back here and collect my win. Yeah. And I, I really thought, leading up to that point, like he was he was getting ready to go, yeah. Um, and he did pressure Vettel into a mistake, um, and it yeah. wasn't enough. I just think for me, I've always been more of a spirit of the law as opposed to the absolute letter of the law, right? Just because I feel like it's impossible to write regulations for every scenario, and I just feel like Formula One and racing is a spectator sport it, it's it's a form of entertainment and i feel like in that moment when they gave that penalty it just robbed us of what could have been a fantastic battle of of lewis two world champions going at get you know going at it for the first time this season but instead you know we get the penalty and and i understand i think i'm less harsh feeling now than when i first initially was watching <laughs> the race um was there some emotion there, was there? Right, like there's some emotion. Like you're invested in it. Like Lewis is hunting him down. You're, you're, you're you know, it's, it's shaping up to be a good finish to the race. So you're getting excited. And then all of a sudden it's kind of taken away from you immediately. So in the moment I was like, that's such a stupid call. I can't believe it. I, and now I kind of can, I see the logic and I see the reasoning, but it's still, I still think it's a wrong call. And I, it's still disappointing as a fan. It's um, difficult because... By the letter of the law, you can probably argue for a penalty. Yeah, uh, as, we, as we've discussed. Yeah. But the letter of the law does not account for the variation in the specific race in front of you, and yep. also for the for the enjoyment of the spectators and the atmosphere of the race. And the you can the le- you can have some people that would argue that it shouldn't. You have people that should argue that it should. The other side is the letter of the law isn't being applied equally. And, right. and then the, right. the other other side of that is you have different people 
that are being stewards for different races. And so Yeah, the driver steward constantly rotates. That that can't be consistent. And so not saying that this guy's biased or whatever, but he might well, just he's won be one of them five times. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> I meant towards a driver, towards a manufacturer. Right. But he might be biased towards a rule. And and so when you have these races come in where okay, this steward is going to be very severe. And then the next time, maybe a little bit less. And, and I can't even really support that either because he wasn't consistent within the same race. We saw what happened with the Haas, you know, the bump and run. There's no penalty for that. I mean, that's actually creating contact to make a pass. And Are you talking about with the racing point? Yeah. And it's like, yeah. so we have actual contact that causes a change of position not being penalized i wouldn't say that that contact was responsible for the overtake i would say that that contact could have not happened if uh grosjean hadn't defended so hard uh and i would also say that the pass would have happened without like the pass could have happened without contact like i the, the contact wasn't the reason that um i think it was checko got by yeah, I, I'm not saying that that was, you know, it was a yeah. slide job, push him out of the no, way yeah, sort no, of no. deal. I, I agree, yeah. But I just feel like if you're going to be so strict that you're going to call out Seb in, you know, five-second penalty, how is that not applied in situations that are kind of similar? So I just feel that it's it's inconsistent across this race, across FIA's last couple-year history, and... It, it, and it was really frustrating to see a lot of people were turned off and you see on social media uh, a lot of people aren't happy one way or the other right yeah I, I, I think that's a result of the inconsistency as we said. what would have um, happened if it was the second chicane where there's <laughs> <laughs> and a new guest to the podcast timber welcome timber tell us what's your opinion of the uh <laughs> What's the dog opinion? I muted he, audacity. He I didn't it was right. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Um, what would have happened if it happened in the second chicane where there's a rule for rejoining, there's the pylon you have to cut through, and like it's paved? Would it, would if, so say, say Seb lost the rear end and cut through that chicane, would he still have gotten a five-second penalty, do you think? If he or, had abided by the rule and rejoined the right side of the cone, then no. But he would have lost position. Right, I guess that make uh, yeah, that makes sense since the the issue isn't really the cut track as much as it is the it's the rejoin yeah. that's the issue here. The, yeah. those, those rules like we have the Monza chicanes with the yeah. you know, the the cones you have to go the right side of they exist Did to take away that um, right. uncertainty around yeah. the, the uncertainty around what is an unsafe rejoin or not. Right. Did you guys like uh, sub changing the signs at that, the end of the race? Oh. So I. Uh, I have an issue with Seb, and I, I, I have made this very, very clear and very yes. honest about this when people have asked. I think he's on his day with the right car. He's phenomenally quick. He's won championships with a Red Bull that's designed around him. Mm -hmm. He doesn't need all these theatrics and this whining and this, this attitude that he has where everyone's against him. Like... He's the lead driver of the most famous team and the most illustrious team in history. Yeah, you have to act at a certain level uh, with a certain level of dignity there. So I, no way, show some emotion, yeah. man. So I, I have two. I'm, I'm two sided on this. 
on the one hand, when he's complaining on the radio right after it happened, right after he got the penalty, and he's complaining to the to his engineer and all that stuff, that I really could do without. I, I think it hurt him. You, you could kind of watch the delta. I think I, he lost I time I, during. I kind of, I kind of get that though. Like I get, I get moment, it. You've got to be stressed. You're in a high physical environment. You're going to yeah. be pushing hard. You're dehydrated. You're going to well, be emotional. Well, and we have to consider the fact that he did go off of the racing track at like, you know, 80, 90 miles an hour. And Hobby's going to be up. Yeah. Pucker factor is high. It is. Yes. So, but, you know, the whining on the radio, that kind of, eh, that kind of, and I, I'm, I can't say that because I guess I can't say that because I whine on the radio all the time. <laughs> Like when we're racing, I complained way too much, so I guess I can't see that. But the the changing of the the signs, I think it's theatrical and I think it's dramatic. But I also think it was, it was exactly what Formula One fans needed, and I think it's exactly what Formula One, as a community, needed because I think that that itself was shared quite a lot on social media. It blew up on Reddit. Some guy got gilded <laughs> like eighty times. Um, well, that's the mark of a true genius, then. No, I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying, <laughs> I feel like from a fan's point of view, it was a little bit of relief or a little bit of you know comic relief from the thing, and, and it made me like Sebastian more because I thought it was funny. I, I don't think he was really being like super dramatic. I think he it was just, a, it was a pantomime, right? He yeah, was, he was just he making was his a character. feelings. He was making his feelings known, and and I have always loved the characters of motorsports. I think that. Um, but is this the sort of character you want? If he like, doesn't, if it's like a consistent thing and he does that all the time, then no. Because I don't, but I don't think he does that, you know, all the time. Uh, I'll no, say I, I like it because he does that for the fans. Yeah. He goes up on the podium. The fans are booing Lewis, which Lewis, I don't think is. I don't think that's it's not fair. fair. I don't think that's fair. It's, it's a weird situation where you want to boo the production, but you don't want to boo Lewis. And so Lewis gets on the mic, and he was like, I, I didn't make the rule, guys. I didn't call the penalty. And Seb goes over there and, you know, kind of vouches for Lewis. If if there's going to be that respect between the drivers, I'm totally fine with Seb, you know, moving the, the um, pillars and making a laugh out of it and kind of making it a joke or lighthearted because there's respect between the drivers yeah. if he went up there and you know told lewis to shove it and you know wasn't friendly right. lewis invited him up to the top step there's obviously a lot of respect between them they've been through a lot of yeah. issues and stuff we've seen a lot of top drivers in or in between teams get into you can tell they don't like each other and they treat each other negatively yeah. lewis and seb have a mutual respect they both know that it's not their fault that they called the penalty um and Lewis's I, th fault, I think it would have been different too like what he did specifically he just switched them if he had like knocked over the first person <laughs> position one you know like that then that that's like that's disrespectful and, and you know that's a little but I think what he did and the way like the the body language you know I think it was okay and I think that we should give a lot of credit to, to Lewis because that was a really good drive it was it was I don't think you could say that he didn't deserve the win because well, he, also, he put a lot of pressure in I, yeah exactly you know, that's the other that's the other point i want to make right is that with all these pantomimes with all these theatrics with all this controversy over the penalty let's not forget vettel made a mistake right and it's not the first time he's done this exactly yes germany last year 
Yep. Hockenheim threw it off the track, threw away a win. Even Bahrain this year. Um, Canadian Grand Prix in 2011 in that that crazy race in the rain with uh, Jensen, where he with lost Jensen. It on the last yeah. lap. Yeah. Last lap, similar chicane. Yep. You know, yeah, weather conditions, whatever. But he threw away the race again. Yep. Like he he very talented as a driver. His pole laps qualifying are always brilliant. His pole lap in Montreal was spectacularly good. Mm-hmm. But he has a repetitive trend of making these mistakes under pressure, and it's a flaw that's being exposed. Yeah, and I think that he actually I think he got a little lucky with with not binning the car completely. Yeah, because that, that could have been a race-ending error. That chicane is very difficult, and and very often, you know, if he had been three feet to the left, he would hit the wall. If he'd been, yep, you know, a little bit quicker, he lost it later in the corner. He would have been in the wall on the right side. Um, Absolutely. So yeah, I think Lewis put in a really good drive. He obviously had the pressure. It's not easy to follow a car that closely as he was, and um, yeah, I think Lewis had a really good drive too. So you know yeah. who else had a really good drive? Who else had a really good drive? At his home Grand Prix. Yes. Stroll. Absolutely. <sighs> okay, fine. <laughs> yeah, he was okay. <laughs> I know. I, <laughs> I uh, yeah. don't have much positive to say about him. but <laughs> None of us do. But that's okay. He, but he, you know what? He made credit, it work. Credit and... where it's due. I was going to yeah. say, yeah. I think it's, it's important to as much as we you know might hate on certain drivers i think it's good to give them credit and i think lance put in a, a good that first stint was very consistent very good yeah and, he was um, on the opposite strategy with the tires right and he brought it home he, he scored, made it scored points for the team and it was it was a good run you know who else had a good run that i was really happy to see it was daniel ricardo well both runners yeah both runners yeah they finished yeah, uh, right back to back but sixth and seventh right yeah sixth and seventh and danny had an amazing qualifying P4, which is really good for the car that he yep, has. And, absolutely. Um, he had some really good battling with Valtteri, and I think that the the Renault, both Renaults uh, put in a, a really good show. Um, I'd, I agree. I'd like to see them do better, and, and I'm I'm Danny's like my favorite driver on the circuits on the, yep. on the in the paddock. So like, I'd, anytime he does well, I'm I'm happy. So. Um, I agree. It was nice to see them. Uh, you know, that that team should be with the resources they have, with the drive lineup they have. That team should be pushing Red Bull. Absolutely, I think so. And I think this was the first race season where we've actually seen that that promise come to fruition. Red Bull uh, was kind or, of nowhere. I, I felt this uh, Max race. had decent pace. Max had decent pace, but he just wasn't. It's a, it's a power track, and yeah. that Honda engine's still not quite where the Ferrari and the Mercedes Yeah, are. that's true. Going back to the Renaults, did you hear Hulkenberg on the last lap was he disobeying his uh, race engineer? Oh, no. Yeah. He's, he's trying to pass Ricardo, and <laughs> and the engineer comes on the uh, microphone and is like, hey, open up a two-second gap, open up a two-second gap. Hulkenberg's saying, no, no, I'm not doing that. And they're like, you have to do that. We need to cool down the engine. And he was like, I'll cool down the engine when I'm in front of Ricardo. <laughs> I like and that. See, I, I, I've got no issue with that. Yep. Like, <laughs> yeah, let him race. Let him race. Let him race. Hulk, yep. he, and so he obviously wasn't drivers. happy. Yep. But it, it's a situation where 
Mercado's insanely popular. And if you're not shining yourself, it's going to be easy to be kind of lost in the shuffle behind. Yeah, it's not being... And when you have a race where you think you can make that pass, I, I think he should have just turned off his uh, headset and... <laughs> oh, mean... sorry, I didn't oh, hear yeah. you. It's not, it's not look... easy being in, in Hulkenberg's shoes, for sure. No, it's not. But if you look at the results, like, yeah, Ricciardo out-qualified him. You know, there were some issues with other teams in qualifying, whatever. But at the end of the race, he's right there with him. He ran his own race very well. He ran that long first stint, had tires that were, you know, seven, eight laps fresher than Ricardo at the end. He was ready to go. And yeah. he was right there with him. Yeah. So, yeah, good race for the Renaults. I don't think we'll see a strong pace from them in France, though. No, the next I don't round. think so. You know, this the Castellet circuit, long sweeping corners aerodynamic track yeah. with massive straights. It's Mercedes domination written all over it, I think. So do you think Haas will be just as bad as they were in Canada? Because they, they've really struggled to get the temperatures in their tires. So I think I think from what we've seen in the season so far, like there are certain tracks that suit certain cars very well. Canada was a Ferrari track. Yeah. And that's why I made the, uh, the bold call the previous episode that one of them was going to win. And I was yeah. almost right. What's similar crazy? to Baku, similar to Bahrain. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy if you look at the um, – there was, like, that comparison between Lewis's lap and the pole lap. And if mm -hmm. you watch the Delta, the Mercedes is quick through all the corners, but then as soon as they get to any straight, the, Mer the Ferrari just, like, bolts. Like, it just, like, pulls two or three tenths down the straight. It's nuts. Yeah, it, they have the best engine this year. They yeah. have the best engine and the, the lowest downforce car. Yeah. So in, you know, tracks like um, like Baku and like Montreal where you have long straights punctuated by slow corners, that's really a track where the Ferrari can shine. Monza. Monza, you know, that could well be a Ferrari 1-2. One, we'll, we'll, we'll see when we get there. Yeah, we'll see. But France, you know, those are long straights, but they're also very quick corners, aerodynamic cars. Yeah. I think Mercedes could be very strong there. Hey, Charles got his first uh, podium. Was it his first podium? No, not his first podium, no. but his first podium of the season, right? I thought he was second in Bahrain, no? Oh, yeah, yeah. Not what am I thinking? I don't know why. Uh, never he was third in Bahrain. He should have been first. That, that was why yes. we were yeah. upset about Bahrain. He yes. should have been on the top step. Ignore um, me. <clears throat> instead of third place. Yep. But, um, no, he. I mean, he, he was there. Hopefully he'll, he'll, he'll get a win this season. Both Ferraris will. I'm calling. I think uh, Magnussen got a nice little talking to. Oh dear. Dear me. My second least favorite driver on the grid. So. I really like him. He's Why? he's Mexican food for me. I really like him <laughs> when he's in a good mood, and I really dislike him the other eighty percent of the time when he's <laughs> not. And he's so he's like Mexican food. I can't have him that often as a personality that I actually root for him. But uh, yeah, I just for him to get on the radio and moan and complain when he was the one that binned the car yeah. was such a chump move. Yeah. And he got on the radio after the race on the cool down lap and apologized to. I saw him apologize everyone. in a post race interview too. As he should, yeah. frankly. Yeah. Like, he should be a little bit embarrassed. If if it was not his fault, I would understand more of the complaining. But if the team know. were put in behind, you know, through a bad 
pit stop strategy yeah. or a mistake or yeah. even if he were like a, a rookie yeah like this guy has almost 100 Grand Prix starts I think yep. certainly 80, 80 he's, got ex- he's got experience he's got yep. plenty of experience in multiple teams like and, yeah and he just you he know made, how the game is played by now yeah he made a mistake like it wasn't it wasn't the car it was just he made a mistake and he wrecked it and them's the rules team for not putting together a perfect car overnight when Haas has the smallest team I tell you what the hit when his engineer came on the radio the emotion in his voice was like I'm sorry we don't like it either the guys were up all night like the the he he was angry yeah. He was really angry. <laughs> well, Gunther was, like, very angry. But, like, the engineer yeah. was, like, you could hear the tiredness in his voice. You could hear, yeah. like, the, we're doing the best we can. Um, yeah. And any of us here who have done endurance races, um, yeah. shout out to Chamkar there, yep. you know, we get tired and emotional after a certain point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we um, get tired and emotional like 15 minute online <laughs> <race>. <laughs> and if you have uh, you know young millennial drivers complaining yeah. about your efforts after you've been up all night then yes. that's yep. not what you want Yep. so grow up Kev that's what I'm going to say grow up I like Kevin but he's in the wrong yep. yep. for sure um, and then um, McLaren just it, uh, shades of seasons past with the reliability for this race What? so what happened with Lando that his, his brake caught his on fire and it melted the suspension. Suspension. Okay. I that was, shouldn't happen. <laughs> I was ninety nine percent sure. I looked. I like. I was like not paying attention. I looked up and I saw the wheel hanging off, and he was on the front stretch. I'm like, wall of champions, easy. And then they showed the <laughs> right. replay, and you're just like, he is nowhere near it. <laughs> it's like, oh, the car literally just fell apart. Like it was just the car melted. <laughs> yeah, the car just melted. Yeah, that was. And then. Um, the other car was having it, issues too. Like they were having science, massively heating, yeah. heating issues. So I don't he, know. He what fell was way going back. On. He was off the pace of the tires. Like up there in Canadian land, it's pretty hot. I I can see, you know, overheating in Canada. Probably <laughs> 120 was, outside. It was an uncharacteristically <laughs> warm race. It, it was a very warm race. Um, yeah, but no other team really had those issues in the right, same way. Right. Like they they had pace in that car that weekend. Yeah. yeah. I I felt it was weird that they left Norris's car at the end of pit lane the entire time. You uh, know, I didn't have a problem with it. It was out of the way. It was out of the way, and it was. Kind but they of... have guys standing over the car working on it on the electrical system and stuff during the race. It was for one lap. They put the double. Ye- they, they put the yellows out. I think that you know, it, it was a safety was issue fine. to make sure that like you know like the electrical and the battery is shut off. But I think it was no. Fine. This I'm talking about way later in the race. I thought there's it... people out there on the car. FIA officials, not McLaren people. Oh, okay. I and, saw that. They put out a yellow flag, but I didn't think they were doing anything too serious. And so I was just like, well, tow the car or just abandon it. Don't yeah. hang out yeah, and maybe just, you know, maybe just leave it where it is and not, not fiddle with it till the end of the race. Have a couple mimosas I thought, I thought, while you're yeah. hanging out taking pictures of the McLaren. I thought, it was, I thought it was fine. It was out of the way. And it kind of reminded me of, you know, Grand Prix of past years when we used know. to have cars littering the side right, of the like track. like you watch, yeah, you like watch replays of like old races, and there's just like cars here and there, just kind of just abandoned, yeah, <laughs> to the scavenging fans, Char- charred, you know, remains of cars. <laughs> yeah. It was a simpler time, yeah. But Canada, um, I feel like it could have been a, a could have been a better race, um, but it just kind of lacked. A, apart from the Lewis and Sebastian thing, I feel like it kind of lacked any real. 
big, good moments. There's a few good passes here and there, but I don't think anything really stood out to me. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. But, um, yep. But uh, for France, we think Mercedes domination back to back to where it is. I don't see um, unless there's some sort of Lance Stroll engine blow up with the new motor. I I don't see them not doing a one-two. Fair enough. Yeah, I'll go with Bottas one more time. Uh, I don't know I don't, if he's. I don't, hate, I don't hate that call actually. Yeah. I, don't hate that. I think. I don't think that they're going to throw everything behind Lewis yet. I hope not. I I really hope they never do. I hope that they leave it fifty-fifty until yeah. you know it's decided. But I, I, he's going to get one eventually. One more. I mean, soon. I think he uh, did not have a good race. His last race, it was not a good qualifying. And I think he struggled. Yeah, with, he struggled with some brake temp stuff. And yeah, I, I want to see Valtteri win. I want to see him win the championship. I want to see him with a fair fight to Lewis. That's that's yeah. that's what I want. Um, so that's the French Grand Prix in two weeks' time. However, there is another race in France in one week' time. Is that right? It is right. It's the best race of the year in my. What are you talking about, that? Mr. In Fawcett? my <laughs> humble opinion. So it's you no secret. <laughs> it's no secret that I'm a massive sports car racing fan. Um, and this weekend, which will be probably after. Are you calling yourself fat? Yes. Uh, I'm not sure if it'll be before or after the podcast is released. Regardless, we should we'll, be out just before it. I yeah. think. The just 87th, before. the 87th running of the 24 hours of Le yes. Mans. Uh, which is the highlight of my <laughs> motorsports year. I dedicate the whole weekend to it, set it all up. I got the timing on multiple different screens. It's you love just, it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Love it. Um, but I'm really excited. It's going to be good. It's the end of the super season. Um, Toyota number eight has clinched the championship with Fernando and Kaz Nakajima and Sebastian Buemi. Um, that was not a surprise, really. Um, the Toyotas, well, the only, yeah, the team in there. The Toyotas were the only ones that were going to win, um, obviously, since the privateers are much slower. Um, so, so other, so like, there's no real big championship, you know, implications with LMP1. I'm not sure how the championship is with the other classes. I haven't looked at the standings after Spa, um, but I'm excited. I think it'll be really good. It's always. Even I mean, if it's you're very much a standalone yeah. race, anyway. Yeah, right? it's a very yeah, it's a standalone race. I mean, there's lots of one-off drivers, and and I think right. that even if you're not a sports car fan, even if you're not even like a big, you know, motorsports or you know road racing at the very least fan, I think it's it's something you need to watch at least once. I would love to go at least once. Um, the the history and and the yeah, it's, there's just a really cool feeling about it that that yeah, it's just a really great if you don't have to watch an hour of it. Um, it's a great race to watch, and just finishing it is is an accomplishment. And I'm I just love it. I love it. It's I know a lot of people don't like the track. I love the track. It's old school. I, it's got I some. Agree. It's, it's got some great stark. corners. It's got some like the Porsche curves are just fantastic in any car you drive. Um, and you know it 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 generally always produces some pretty good racing too. Um, yep. And and I think it's good. It's Ford's last official year. Um, racing the new, well, not new anymore, but the Ford GT. Um, so they have some really cool throwback liveries. Um, BMW's last year at Le Mans, which is kind of a bummer. Um, yeah, I hate seeing cars, you know, pulling out of the series, but that's not exactly cheap to run a factory GT no, program. <laughs> so I, I, you know, from a business standpoint, 
I get it. From a fan standpoint, if every manufacturer in the world can make a GTE car, I would be happy. But um, yeah, exciting, exciting, exciting this weekend. Um, it'll be a lot of fun. And then the week after that, I believe, is probably one of the other best races of the year, the 24 Hours of the Nürburgring, which is going to be the same thing. Yes, that's Lo- right. It is. Same thing. Lots of history. Um, another great race. I would say more difficult to finish, probably. Uh, more just tr- to clarify, yeah. Yeah. that's the Nordschleife rather than the Nürburgring. Yes, Grand yes. <laughs> the Nordschleife, obviously. That's the obviously, old school, yeah. wonderful 16-mile yes. track. That's proper old school. Like, Le Mans is old school. That's like, yeah. So, two fantastic 24-hour sports car races back-to-back. Um, it's going to be a good month. Fantastic. Um, yeah, look forward to that. And we yes. will bring you all the highlights and the updates of that in the next episode. Um, but now, moving away from the high-tech world of Formula One and uh, world sports car racing... We're going to go to our interview section with one of our team members, and we're going to bring in Mr. Justin Hall. Can we get him into the booth? Yes, we can. Hi, Justin. Hello. How are you doing, man? Pretty good. How are you guys? Good, good. Uh, Thank you for joining us here. Um, So we've been talking about Formula One, been talking about world sports cars, Canadian Grand Prix, Le Mans coming up, all that excitement. Mm-hmm. Um, so now, you know, we want to take ourselves back to our huge ass roots a little bit and talk about entry level motorsports. And Justin here is our illustrious competitor in all things autocross. So, <laughs> as, as apropos to our huge ass paddock pass name, we're going to be doing huge ass paddock pass racing. Um, so, Justin, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Kick us off. Uh, sure. So, um, you know, probably similar story to most of you guys, uh, grew up with, uh, the Super Nintendo racing games, Super Mario, uh, moving on later to the arcade racers, Gran Turismo, Forza, always having fun with those. And then making a step, of course, up to, uh, iRacing and just always had a love of cars and going fast and, um, you know, uh, to bring up autocross, auto, uh, <laughs> when I first purchased my, uh, uh, Miata, that was kind of my first fun car. And, uh, me and a buddy who, um, actually kind of pushed me to buy the Miata, uh, instead of a Corvette that I was going to look at. And, um, from there we, um, looked into autocross and it was just kind of a cheap way for us to kind of drive quickly in our cars and uh you know having that competitive nature um compete against one another and and see who's best so so you got involved with a friend did were you better than him (laughs) uh you know not starting out but um you know i'm not gonna lie the miata was my first manual car and and he was uh uh grew up with it so he definitely had some years of experience on me there um but you so, caught up relatively quick i think so i mean you know it was kind of funny when i was at a uh looking at a manual car um i was actually with my family when i was doing this and um the looked at a manual hyundai i don't know elantra or whatever <laughs> and the, the sales guy asked uh so have you ever driven a manual before and i was like well 
done this in video games a number of times, so <laughs> I think I'll be okay. How hard could it be? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, only stalled it uh, three times with uh, the whole family and the sales guy in the car. So, there you know, you it was uh, it was great. So, uh, I want to um, put you up on something you 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 said very very quickly in passing just then. You were looking at a Corvette, but went for a Miata. Yeah. So tell, tell us about that decision. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I guess to uh, try to shed some light on that one. Um, I, I've always, growing up, always liked the V8 sports cars. Um, the medallion, the hairy chest. Yes, of course. <laughs> you know, I already had the jean shorts, the hairy chest. It just, it just felt right. It just felt like a natural transition. Um, I mean, you were you were living in Florida. This is Miami Vice reborn. You know exactly. You know, it, it's uh, <laughs> it, it just it just felt so right. And uh, unfortunately, the Corvette I was going to look at ended up selling. Uh, before I had a chance. So uh, my buddy actually had bought his Mazda Speed Miata maybe a week prior, and I knew that was a fun car. Um, and so he kind of got me looking down uh, that path at a few different Mazda Speed Miatas and um, came across this one at a dealership nearby, test drove it, uh, loved it, and you know signed in the dotted line and i don't know like six hours later <laughs> uh gotta love car dealerships um it was mine so well you know what they say you know what miata stands for is miata is always the answer it, exactly so you know I, I think at the end of the day that i made the right call so <laughs> well you definitely fit in with the rest of the Jess, which for our listeners that don't know of the like 23 members of our team like 10 of them own Miatas. We, we have we have multiple digit Miatas at this point. <laughs> yes. I have a confession to make. It's absurd, yeah. Hang on. Here we go. I've never rode in a Miata before. <gasps> Boy! <laughs> Not even joking. In fact, the only time I've even sat in a Miata was at Mr. Huge Ass himself's house. Uh, the car was in the garage, and Alex was like, hop in. So I hopped in. I think that it was, was on the box. That was, yep, that's blue. And uh, I was like, wow, this is really cool. Hopped out. <laughs> you know, it was on blocks. I wasn't going anywhere. And <laughs> that was the only time that I've sat in a Miata. My well, word. Wow. If you're ever back in, in Richmond, I'll take you for a rip in my my old faithful. But hey, Justin, he's in Florida. You can take his out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I know St. Pete's a little ways away, but um, yeah, we'll definitely make that happen. So anyway, going back to, to autocross. <laughs> I just uh, had to point out the Miata tie-in. <laughs> Continue. Back to autocross. You talked about it being budget. Would you say smiles per mile? It's up there with <laughs> anything that you can do. Is it's very budget friendly for being able to just run it out? Yeah. So you know, obviously, uh, as far as like dollar per driving, it's it's not exactly going to be the best. Um, you know, you, you could look at a track day and kind of compare the actual time where you're driving uh, to that of an autocross. And, you know, you can kind of see some more value there. Uh, but at the same time, you know, a track day uh, is going to cost you maybe somewhere around $200. Yep. And an autocross is usually about $35, $45, depending on the venue, the club, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, from that standpoint, it's it's pretty cheap. And, um, 
you know, if, if you've ever enjoyed going to a car show or going to a Cars and Coffee, I feel like it's basically that same kind of atmosphere, except you have some driving. So, mm-hmm. you know, instead of doing a cool burnout, leaving the uh, venue and having a Mustang uh, possibly run into the crowd, <laughs> you're just, you're just going to run over some cones. So, you know, no harm, no foul. Yeah, there you go. So um, living in Florida, obviously there's a lot of unique people. What is the weirdest <laughs> car that you've seen autocrossed? Oh God, there's, there's definitely a number of them. Um, I th- there was a, I think a, a Nissan pickup that was like a hard body mm-hmm. uh, with a welded diff. That was mm. definitely interesting to see. It's a bold um, Sounds like a drift yeah. special. The, um, you know, some of the, the craziest cars, I, I don't know if they're necessarily Florida natives. I mean, uh, the <laughs> autocross class goes from, you know, you're, you're basically your bone stock, Miata, whatever, to basically cars that are almost unrecognizable. So this one guy, uh, I'm not really sure what it is underneath, but it's got a Jeep body on it, like a Jeep Wrangler, and he's painted it bright yellow. It's low to the ground, basically like, you know, any sort of tube frame kind of car you'd imagine very low. And it's got a big red tongue sticking out the front of it. And, of course, googly. <laughs> so I'd say as far as the craziest, it's got to be that one. That's all right. Um, so you, oh, you intimated um, there a little bit on the classing of autocross, that it can be anything from box standard everyday daily driver to you know special purpose built track or parking lot monster um <laughs> paddock, paddock, paddock monster paddock monster <laughs> sorry um so if a listener wanted to get involved in autocross how much preparation would they necessarily have to put into their car to get it to a point where they could compete in in the lowest category uh so i mean for someone who's uh just trying to get into it i would almost recommend not you know obviously make sure you, your car has good brakes uh make sure all the fluids are good good oil uh the tires are decent um but as far as uh th- that goes you could just you know bring out whatever it is even if it's like you know a automatic camry yeah uh, just getting out there and uh going to the event you can definitely uh you know, as they say, uh, tighten the nut behind the wheel. So whatever you drive, whatever the prep, you you can definitely learn to become a better driver. Um, now, if we're talking competitive, uh, you know, at, the, at a minimum, tires. Um, for some of the street classes, uh, depending on the age of the car, usually shocks. Uh, and then that's about it. Okay. Um, now, if you bring if you bring your modified car there with forced induction, kind of like you know the modified Mazda Speed, you might find yourself in a silly class that requires you know Hoosiers and uh, <laughs> fifteen thousand dollars worth of mods to Chunky, be bro. truly competitive. So you know, <laughs> it runs for, the gamut. Yeah, exactly. But you know, at the end of the day, you can just kind of run whatever it is, and even though you might not have a competitive PAX time. Um, it's still going to be fun. You know, you're, you're still going to be with a lot of like-minded people and you can figure out who you're going to be competitive against 
you know. So I've changing... only done I've oh, only done ahead. it a hand, I was going to say I've only done autocross maybe three or four times, but um, I I think it's 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 a lot of fun. But even if you're not into performance driving at all, I think it's good for for new drivers or you know anyone to get into because it really allows you to explore the limits of a car in a safe and controlled environment. Um, and so I think it's good for for people to because. You know, if you spin your yeah. car like on the street, like if you lose traction on the street and you already have some prior experience with that, you're going to be a lot more prepared than if you, you know, have to slam on the brakes or whatever it is and you don't have experience. So that's what I think another value to autocross mm -hmm. is that it allows you to find the edge of your, yeah, find the edge of your car in a safe place, which I think is something that a lot of people don't get. Yeah, I would. I would definitely agree with that. And, um, you know, at, on top of that, at low speed. So, you know, yes. if, if, if things go wrong, uh, you know, it's not really going to be that big of an issue. Um, to your earlier point, funny enough, this one club actually for Mother's Day said moms drive free. So <laughs> there you if go. your mom has any sort of uh, interest in car racing, you could uh, go out to one of these clubs and, it, you know, it's free for her. So there you go. Anyone can do it. Do you feel that autocross set you up well for your wheeled wheel ventures? Well, you, you know, <laughs> like Foss said, it, it definitely helps you with um, learning the limits of the car, learning what to do when things go wrong. Like if you're experiencing understeer or oversteer, you know, how to kind of correct for that. Uh, but as far as going wheel to wheel, I, you know, it, that's kind of, it's not going to teach you racecraft. So. A little so, bit of backstory. So, uh, you came up to VIR 2018, and you did a couple stints in blue, the Miata for HJ. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, so you know, um, kind of my background and and as far as uh, HJ goes, uh, I had a buddy who I was doing the arcade racing with on Forza. He had uh, signed up with iRacing, got uh, hooked up with you guys through Reddit. And then um, kind of finally pushed me into there. I get into the iRacing Reddit League. Um, once I start getting the hang of it, uh, definitely having a lot of fun. You guys are all a fun bunch to deal, uh, to hang around with. Um, if, you know, hey, for the most part. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, it was kind of funny. Like, I think for my first uh, real regular season, um, about six months later, I'm coming out and going to one of your uh, champ car events at VIR. I think this was 2017. Yeah, that was 2017. You came up yep. and just helped us crew. That was our first 24-hour race. Oh, okay. Wow. So it was a lot of first for for uh, for all involved. Um, you know, I barely barely knew any of you guys. I, I never really met you in person. It was my birthday uh, weekend, as it turned out, and I just figured, you know, I'm turning 30. <laughs> uh what the hell why not uh hang out with a field of dudes that you've never met before <laughs> right yeah, a racetrack i mean you know the biggest draw of course being a racetrack so i figured how you know how bad could it be and uh yeah i, I can get back to that in a minute but um <laughs> fast forward a year having that background um i i definitely was uh itching to uh to get a drive and um you know, worked it out with Tom and Alex to uh, make that happen. 
uh, split my rental equipment with another member. And uh, yeah, it was it was uh, quite the experience, you know. So um, I think it's uh, Saturday morning is the practice for that race. Yep. And it's my first time ever being in a proper like five point harness, um, having the Hans device on, having a full racing uh, fire suit or overalls, and it it really something that. I wasn't quite ready for is just how limited your mobility is as far as like being able to like kind of turn your head and, and look out uh, the windows or the uh, side view mirrors. And then the netting, how much that obscured uh, that driver's side (laughs) um, mirror. So getting my bearings there was definitely uh, intimidating. And on top of that, there was some starter issues with the car. So I got to experience my first bump start. So that was that was <laughs> also a, if, a trip. If there's a time to learn, now's the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And again, it's like, well, I, I get the idea. I've seen this on television hundreds of times. <laughs> I think I can do it. And um, sure enough, you know, had the key in the on position, uh, had it in first gear, clutch in. You guys gave me a push, clutch out, boom, started right up. So, um, and then you know, funny enough, right before I go out. The uh, I guess the car in front of me had some issue with the seat belt or the net uh, belt wasn't properly fastened. You know, kind of taking a little while. And then uh, they look at me and they're like, "Oh, these these newcomers, huh?" And it's, <laughs> I just kind of <laughs> gave away, but you know, <laughs> thinking in my head like I'm in that same boat, but I had a better team that you know helped me <laughs> not look like a jackass when I got here. So. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> So, so uh, how did it feel as as your? I guess as aside from a couple of track days, this is your first real race on a racing circuit. Yeah, yeah. So no, how I mean, how did it feel coming out of pit lane at the start of your stint in the middle of the race and having traffic immediately coming past you at 130 miles per hour to turn one? Terrifying, absolutely <laughs> terrifying. Uh, so you know, I I had done the practice or, you know, uh, some laps in the practice. And that definitely gave me a little bit of an idea, but, you know, people aren't going full race pace. Not everyone is out there. Um, When it comes to the race day, this is, uh, I'm signed up for the second stint. Uh, As you guys know, attrition is a thing in Champ Car. Oh, yeah. Uh, Going in early, though, that's when the most people are going to be running. So I have, like, I don't know, 95 other cars. 90 of which are faster than blue by some, you know, more so than, uh, than others. And, uh, yeah, it's basically just looking in my side view mirror, uh, as much as I can trying to stay out of everyone's way as I get my bearings, um, you know, doing the, the sim racing gave me a good idea of what the proper racing line is doing the practice laps gave me some idea of what it's like to drive in traffic. But obviously when you, get out there and it's the actual race um people aren't really going to give you um an inch and they're they're coming at you much faster and much larger groups so in in that sense it definitely was just like oh my god don't crash the car (laughs) you know (laughs) stay out everyone's way that was probably the first three laps or so and then i started getting into a rhythm and um at that point it it was really really fun um 
you know, it's an adrenaline rush like like no other, you know, just I, I kind of made the comparison of like, and you, you get a really good drive in an autocross or, or a track day, you got an adrenaline rush, you're feeling great. This adrenaline rush was one of like sheer terror, but, <laughs> you know, there's still some excitement with that. Um, yeah, definitely really enjoyed it. Continuing the terror th- theme, you uh, had an off. Tell us about that. All right, yeah. So <laughs> obviously <laughs> can't tell this story without the uh, the big moment. So we had to, we had to bring it up, Justin. You know that. Of, of course, I knew it was coming. <laughs> so you know, I guess I it was maybe like lap five or so, um, going up the I believe it's the S's, and then yep. making in a uh, a left onto the kink. There were some faster cars behind me. I, I I guess in some previous laps they had done it before, where they go on the inside of the kink. But in this moment, I was not ready for that to happen. So I was uh, braking, going to make my turn. But all of a sudden, I see these cars rushing up the inside. I immediately panic, uh, slam the brakes. Blue does not have ABS like my Miata or every other car I've driven in my life. So those instantly get locked up. And the car just goes straight uh, right off the course. Thankfully, there's quite a lot of lot of green space on the outside of that corner of VIR. You agreed, yeah. So thankfully, um, as as soon as that happened, I was able to straighten the wheel, kind of get my bearings back, and just kind of, you know, slowly made but safely made my way back over to the uh, racing surface. Uh, tried to find a gap, but honestly, there's there's not a whole lot you can see from that position. So, no, that's true. You know, at some point I was just kind of like getting a, a you know, a, a, as good a speed I could on the grass. And then I, I was on the inside of that corner, not really a place where you're going to be, uh, you know, it's not the racing line. So I felt pretty safe about pulling on. And, and luckily, you know, there wasn't a huge crowd <laughs> around. I mean, obviously, it would have, I was trying to make sure that wasn't going to happen. So yeah. uh, from there, was able to kind of, regroup you know definitely took a took a lap or two to to kind of work off that terrifying uh rush um and then and then i think you know i don't know maybe around so that was lap five six somewhere around there and then probably around like lap eight or nine i was really getting the hang of it and uh feeling pretty good and and actually starting to look at the uh, lap times and noticing that hey sometimes i'm you know down like a what was it I can't think of what they were, but... I think it was like six and a half minutes. Seven minutes. <laughs> uh, very funny. Very funny. Wow. I know this isn't the Nürburgring, but... Uh, this is about yeah. who's never even sat in a Miata before. Yeah, exactly. You got no room to talk. Uh, but I know that won't stop you. <laughs> <laughs> Not much does. Um, yeah, but, you know, it was, it was definitely a really fun experience. I mean, obviously going into it, I, I never expected to be setting fast lap times. I just wanted to experience it. And, uh, you know, main thing, not cause an accident, not damage the car. Um, I was mostly successful there. I mean, certainly the tires had some flat spots uh, after that incident, but um, everything was was pretty sound. And um, by, I think it was like an hour 40, that was when there was like a giant wreck uh, on the main straight or I guess it's the back straight. And yep. um, I just see this huge cloud of smoke in front of me. And I'm just like, all right, I'm going to kind of let off and 
see what's going on here and and sure enough i see you know a flip bmw on my left a, a limping prius on the right pulling off or not prius uh the prelude prelude <laughs> yeah that's yeah. an ambitious jump car is what that is <laughs> hey, you know, maybe somebody <laughs> oh god that guy Fuel was efficient. a nightmare yeah the uh yeah so you know, you bring up that cobalt. There were there were definitely like a handful of cars that were just absolutely terrifying. There was a car that I guess that one, the cobalt, only had second or third gear. So Yes, I think that was the case. It wasn't going faster than eighty miles an hour. Like all of a sudden, you know, he's pulling away a little bit and then he just like he's not. He's just standing still. And that was very scary. Um But yeah, it was Overall, really fun experience, you know, basically see the full course uh, caution. There was a giant clock in the car. I kind of knew about how about the stint length was going to be. Of course, the radios weren't working. Um, so kind of gauged it from there and, and pulled it in. And um, that was that. But, you know, definitely that, looking that to do your, that. That was your two-hour introduction to wheel-to-wheel -wheel racing. Yeah, and, and it was quite the introduction must say and off a caution you know all kinds of things this is good good experience yeah yeah no it, it um you know like i said for the most part it was um letting people buy and and knowing uh when they're going to do that but then there's a couple times when there was actually cars that hey you know what i actually feel faster than this guy and so i actually got to drive you know actually uh do some passing as well and and um you know so you got a little bit of everything so other than that you've done obviously autocross champ car i've talked to you in the past about your miata <laughs> you're not really sure if you want to keep it you want to get rid of it what do you envision yourself in the future do you want to keep sticking with autocross do you want to work towards endurance racing sprint racing something else what what do you think is coming up for you yeah so you know, car-wise, um, you know, as it turns out, when you, uh, it's a Mazda Speed Miata. It's a, uh, you know, turbocharged Miata and done quite a number of mods to it. And really, when you start messing with the uh, ECU computer, I think that's when some, some things can get pretty hairy. <laughs> um, it, it hasn't been a completely reliable car. Definitely had some some issues with it. Uh, it's only survived one out of the three track days that it's done. Oh dear! Uh, the first track day at Daytona, the uh, number three rod bearing disintegrated on me. Uh, the, the second time at Daytona, it was great, uh, and then the third time at Homestead, it was a turbo seal that had let go. So the history with the car is definitely. I'm not sure. I, but as far maybe, as racing maybe goes, maybe history is telling you that it's not in for that many more track days. Yeah, I, I've so in that regard, unless I get a different car, I don't think I'll be doing many more track days or any track days with, uh, you know, in the Miata. Um, I certainly always enjoy autocrossing. Like I said, my my buddy, uh, me and him compete. Our setups are relatively similar. So definitely feel like it's a good uh, driver versus driver uh, scenario. Really enjoy. Um, but obviously, Champ Car, 
was a lot of fun and and so i definitely want to get back into that um hoping to maybe save some money and uh actually pursue that further with uh getting my rental equipment so i don't just have to drive to or fly out to virginia anytime i want to race i can maybe look hook up with some teams that are more local and do sebring daytona uh, etc Okay, and so whether you have the Miata or a different car, you want to continue doing autocross and the such? Yeah, you know, I, I think um, for now, I, I it, it's you know hard to say what I would be switching over to. I, I definitely plan on continuing autocrossing it. Um, when that time comes and I get a different car, whether it's a, I don't know, a BRZ or a Corvette, <laughs> It's, it'll be something um, with the VH. We know you by now. What about a yeah, hard I know. body? I, I, I just, uh, with with the new job, I think I'm I'm definitely leaning to that V8. But uh, we'll 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 cross that bridge when it comes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, consumables are definitely going to be more money on that car, so it's something to really think about. Um, and obviously, speeds are faster, so if things go wrong, it's more money. But you are still um, interested in in pursuing your experiences with wheel to wheel racing. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And um, you know, I I wanted to um do that again this year, but some different vacation plans came up and you know trip to Japan definitely wasn't cheap. <laughs> so, needed to kind of, you know, throw, you know, kind of take a it's, year off, but it's always def- a balance. Yeah, exactly. Find that balance. Yeah. Um, but definitely enjoy it hanging out with you guys and seeing the car go around so i mean definitely can you'll still be attending the races this year for chapka yeah so i'll be at the indycar that's all squared away and then i'll be at a vir awesome well we look forward to having you there well cool man i uh thank you for coming on and doing an interview with us it was great to hear from you i think you uh did some really cool insight into autocross and just kind of your your life, your history. So appreciate it. Thank you very much. Of course. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. Thank you, Justin. Uh, that was Justin Hall, a member of Team HJ. And uh, really great to hear some uh, some different viewpoints and insights as to all the different sorts of budget motorsport than, uh, that are available to enthusiasts around the world. Like Autocross is, is a global thing. I remember even when I was growing up in the UK, we used to have motor clubs that would do you know, autocrosses on local aerodromes and local car tracks and it is a a nice culture to be involved in it's a lot of you know enthusiasts and yeah. very friendly and accessible so i would think definitely. it's it's a lot like like all club style motorsports where you just it is lots of good people lots of good people yeah exactly exactly at the minimum you have people with the same vision you have that enjoy showing off their car their work that they've done just like you have so always a good time that's the important thing. Car guys are car guys, no matter where you are. And, exactly. Uh, they just want to share their fun with you. Yep. So uh, moving forward for us, how long yeah. do we have until Indy? So Indy is the second weekend of July, which is uh, July the 13th and 14th, um, which is almost exactly a month away. And right now, than it seems we've got the car going to the dyno this week going to get a shakedown soon i think uh we're we're looking optimistic and we're pretty excited is that correct tom 
that's correct. So uh, Alex, Jim, and uh, Michael have done some good work since we came back from that disappointing weekend at the Glen. Uh, they continued diving into the wiring um, of the ECU and the engine. They found some more issues with uh, some shielded wires, some unshielded wires, some ports on the ECU. They weren't necessarily responding 100%. And we think now we're in a good place. We have a dyno session booked this week. We're going to take it to the local guy here. Um, on the East a, Coast tuner. He's a well-known tuner. He's He knows. He knows the yeah. secrets of the Mega Squared ECU. He's, yeah, he's a well-known well-known guy which we're lucky to have um, yeah we're very lucky to have access to these to these knowledgeable chaps uh, in our in our local areas um, you know we're gonna take the car there hopefully we can get some good pulls in get some good load running and come up with a good tune for the car um, and like once that's done everything else is pretty much in place mm -hmm. um, we should be hopefully trying to get a shakedown of the car uh, either Dominion or NCCAR in just over the border in North Carolina um, prior to Windy just to make sure that everything is behaving on track as it does on the dyno and once that's ready then you know it's just a case of finalizing our driver stints we have some new drivers in the car for Indy uh, we've got our illustrious Antipodean teammate David Haynes coming across from Brisbane to finally squeeze his strange blue hair into a crash helmet and take to the track um, does he so have to tie that up um, he needs to have it tucked into his fire suit that's for sure and be wearing a balaclava so once yeah so there's no hair hanging around outside it's gonna be a lot basically. of fun it's gonna be a lot of fun it's gonna of, be a lot of fun a lot of I'm people looking forward. we've not at least a lot of people I've not met yet and um, yep it'd be good it is and you know it's Indianapolis is one of the great motorsport venues in the world. Even if someone's not that keen on motorsport, if they're a, you know they don't follow Formula One up to the minute like we do, if you say the words indie, they will know what that is. Yeah. And to have the opportunity to be part of a field of race cars to race at this venue, I think we're very lucky to have that opportunity. I'm looking forward to enjoying it. Yes. for the celebration of motorsport that it will be yep. I don't think we're particularly targeting a class win or a really strong finish overall, that's not yeah. a track that's going to play to our strengths no. as a car uh, or as a driver lineup. but it's not going to be about that Yeah, I'll be happy if the car runs yeah if the car, I think if, after... if the car is just reliable, I think that's a successful weekend I agree, and hopefully in the next episode of the podcast we will uh, bring you news of the preparations as they um, as they are ongoing. We'll yep. have had a dyno test by then, so we'll be able to bring you some more updates on that. And we should be in a decent shape, ready to go racing again. Unfortunately, I will not make that race. I will be there for VIR. That's right, you're going off on a cruise somewhere, aren't you? Yeah, going from warm place to warmer place, because apparently one beach is better than another. <laughs> so but hey i keep my mouth shut and i nod my head and and uh whatever i'll have some pina coladas on a beach I'm, I'm sure you'll have a whale of a time <laughs> yep but it won't quite be the same we'll no. miss you we'll miss you there we'll indeed. send you lots uh, of pictures we'll send you lots of pictures i don't know if i want those pictures <laughs> i don't i'm not sure you're gonna have a choice frankly hmm. um so yeah Let's we will see. bring you all the updates uh, next time on the podcast uh, once again thank you all for joining us um, 
from wherever you are around the globe in all the different time zones, continents, and countries. And once again, you know, if you have comments, suggestions, if you want to get in touch, tell us how we're doing. Tell us, you know, how you, you got a brew in Antarctica, like hook us up. If you got a penguin friend down in the Antarctica, then uh, hook us up with that. You can email us as, as uh, hjmpodcast at gmail.com. Um, and that'll wrap it up for tonight. So I've been your host, Tom Edison. With me has been Andrew Fawcett. Good night. And Alex Cofford. Peace. And in the booth, pressing the buttons of our producer, Michael Derby, as always, keeping us on the straight and navio. Thank you very much, guys. Good night.